Next week, Saturday, we'd like to invite you to something quite special, something pretty unique. We're trying to figure out ways to have the text of Scripture come more alive. So you notice over these past weeks, we've been reading the complete passage of Scripture. Next Saturday night, we're going to show a, a two-hour movie that is fantastic. It's about the person named Paul through the eyes of others. Cameron Blum and Bailey Meyer are two of our summer interns. And uh, as a, is the offering going to be taken now, Jim? Is that the plan? As the offering is taken, Casey, uh, Cameron is going to give us kind of a sense of what we're going to be of, of inv invited into. And you can watch a video clip. So as the offering is taken, Cameron, could you please share? Well, good morning. As Pastor Kevin said, my name is Cameron Blom, and I have the amazing privilege to be able to study under him this summer. And what I want to do this morning is, as Pastor Kevin said, we just want to invite you to join us next Saturday, June 22nd, at 6 p.m. in the auditorium. We're going to be watching this movie. Um, and as you'll see in the clip here, that'll kind of set up the teaching. And in the trailer, we'll watch at the end of the service. Um, what this movie does is it follows Paul in his last few months of imprisonment under Nero. And Dr. Luke sneaks into the city of Rome to join him, uh, write an account of an act, his acts, and help Priscilla and Aquila with their church and the persecution they're facing. And I personally am not a huge Christian movie guy, um, but this movie just blew me out of the water. It's well-written. It's well-performed. Um, if you've seen The, the Passion, Luke is played by the same guy who played Jesus in The Passion. Um, and it's really the best visual representation I've ever seen of the, uh, the intensity, the realities uh, that we're studying in Acts. Um, so parents know that it is PG-13 because it does follow some significant persecution. Uh, so there will be childcare available during the whole movie, in the frog room for birth through pre-K, and in the second and third grade rooms for any kids kindergarten to fifth grade. Um, and then lastly, just after the movie, there will be a time of fellowship and discussion as well as refreshment. So if you're available, we'd love for you to join us. If you want to play the clip, thank you. I know this path of destruction more than anyone. I hated those that followed Christ. I hunted them down like wild animals. And when they fled Jerusalem, I went to the temple, to the chief priests, to obtain authority to go to Damascus and arrest all those that followed the way. I was determined to be God's hand of justice, his wrath. You believed what you were doing was out of a love for God? A blind love. I only knew the law. If water flows down a mountain, what besides a miracle could cause it to flow back? The road to Damascus was your miracle. Yes. The road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you Here, 
Blame him. Something, something happened on the road. Something like a light. There was a voice. A voice like, like, like thunder. He fell to his knees as if he were struck down. And, and he was shouting out the words, Who are you, Lord? All the way here, he has been saying aloud that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul of Tarsus, can you hear me? Ananias. Know who I am? The Lord showed me a vision that you would come to me. They tell me you have lost your mind. You haven't eaten or had anything to drink in three days. Your actions against those that follow Christ and all the harm you have done is well reported. I know you have come here on authority of the chief priests to arrest all those who call on the Lord's name. I am a wretched man. I deserve death. Yes. We all do. Yet... Christ... has set us free. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent to me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, receive thy sight. teaching time we're going to show you one more clip with the hope that you'll really consider coming next Saturday night. Can I invite Bailey and Cameron to come up here please? We have summer interns and I've asked two of them to lead us in reading a scripture. This is Bailey Meyer and Cameron Blum. We've got a significant piece of scripture to read today and I've asked them if they would read it with us and join them in the word of the Lord. So page numbers will be on the screen and they're going to lead us in, in the text of scripture. Thank you very much. I'll give you some time to flip there. <laughs> when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, 
They praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end, and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia a citizen of no ordinary city. Please, let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately, and the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. People of God, this is the word of God. So let's put the context. I'd like to focus for just a few moments this morning on the idea of the resurrected Christ. But let me get you context. So in chapter 21, in verses 17 to about 26, Paul is now meeting with the leaders in Jerusalem. What's happening there? All kinds of Jewish, Jewish believers are growing. The number is swelling. But the, 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 the issue of racism is still deeply embedded in these people. So everything is going okay, okay, until Paul brings up the Gentiles. So I want you to notice what's happening in terms of the vehemence of the, of the room, of the moment, not the room, the moment. So in verse 30, Paul's now arrested. I'm sorry, 27, they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting, help us. Verse 30, the whole city was aroused. People came running in all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple. The gates were shut. Immediately, the gates were shut by the guards because they knew what was going to happen. What happens next? While they were trying to kill him, so they're trying to kill Paul, news reached the commander, 200 troops come down from the fortress of Tonia. When the crowd's riders saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating him. The commander then grabs Paul, binds him with two chains, two, two soldiers. 
The crowd shouting one thing, they shout another, verse 34. There's an uproar, verse 34. Paul reaches the steps. The violence of the crowd was so great, they had to lift him above. So this is incredibly violent. Now what you're going to see, if you come to watch on Saturday, is it begins with violence. And what you're going to see is Paul having flashback after flashback after flashback for all the ways he was violent against people of the way. In the midst of this, he is, has a life transformed by the risen Jesus. So this is really what I want to go in just a sentence. One of the things that concerns me as I look at my life is I am so mindful of the death of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, paying for our sins. All right, all right, all right, good, yes. But what I observe is that far fewer attention is given to the resurrection of Christ. And what I want to show you this morning is from now on, from chapters 21 through 27, he is going to talk about the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. Because if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. So let me give you a quick slide, and then I'm going to come back to, to these three appearances. Um, may I have slide uh, tw five, please? So if you look at the next several weeks, I have three particular, particular words tied to the resurrection. One is hope. One is truth and one is power. So the central theme that he's going to talk about over and over is Christ's resurrection. The hope of the resurrection brought him back to Jerusalem and then to Rome. Why? So let me get back to the verse for the whole book of Acts. It's Acts 1.8. You'll be witnesses. The Spirit comes upon you. You'll be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth was considered Rome. So everything he is doing in his mind is, I need to get to Rome. What happened when he thought he'd go to Rome? The word was he would die. I'm going to suggest to you in some weeks, he didn't die on his first visit to Rome. He was beheaded in his second visit. But he needed the hope of the resurrection. Why? Because he knew he was going to be killed for being a follower of Jesus. So the word hope in the New Testament is never, I hope. It is like you're standing on a balcony watching a, a, a musical, a sporting event or something, and you're just trying, you're just, you're, you're engaged, you're wondering, what's going to happen next? The word hope has an anticipatory feel to it. He had an anticipation that when he was killed, he would, be, he would rise because of what Christ has done. So there was this hope of the resurrection that made him fearless. There was the truth of the resurrection. He was insistent that Jesus died and rose. Why do you think the gospel accounts have so many numbers of people who see Jesus alive? More than 500 people saw Jesus alive. The truth was that Jesus has risen, and because he has, there is hope forever for all people, for eternity. And this is why I want to keep emphasizing to you, and this comes really well if you're, if you're a student, you want to study, read N.T. Wright. I'm, I'm, this is going to come across poorly, I know. The goal is not to get to heaven. Our task as followers of Jesus in this life and the life to come is to join him in bringing heaven to earth. When Jesus returns, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth here. You'll be living here, terra firma. 
the truth of the resurrection is Christ has risen, Christ has overcome. He has promised to come back because Christ has risen. There will be a new heaven and new earth. And the last thing is, the power of the resurrection was his source of strength in all kinds of trials and great pain. Now let me stop for a second. So as you look at your relationship with the Lord, do you focus on his death more than his resurrection? And there's my observation. Those of us who focus on death, he paid for our sins, absolutely. His blood covers a multitude of sins. Mike talked about his, the death of Christ gives us entryway into his presence. Absolutely, all that's right. But the, there's a little bit of a, of a concern that I have because we focus on the dead guy. Let me give you an example of what we focus on. So you notice, except, except on Easter, we do not put the pictures of the worship leaders or, or simulcasts or me on the, on the screen. Why do we not do that? Because in a room or any place you go, which calls itself a worshiping place, if you talk about Jesus, but the images are people, who is preeminent? Who's ever on the screen? You got these gigantic faces of the people who lead worship, and that's what we look at. Now, you can talk about Jesus until you're blue in the face, but what you think about is the images you see. Am I speaking the truth? That's why we designed this room that no one sits in the room more than 75 feet from this place, because we did not want to put images on the screen. So what you focus on, here's my sentence. I'll give it to you a little bit later on a little more. The mind won't believe what the heart won't obey. The mind won't believe what the heart won't obey. So this resurrection thing is such a big deal. And you're going to see in just a moment, his resurrection from Jesus, from the dead, gave him the ability to have hope and truth and power. Now let me stop for you. With you. May I, may I, do I have permission to just push this a little bit this morning? So I'll leave myself, and then would you apply it to you? In light of Kirk's death, when I found myself in places of deep despair and felt hopeless, I can say to you, my focus was not on the risen Christ. I'm focusing on the dead son and the dead guy, Jesus, who provides a way to heaven, quote, unquote. But when I live with resurrection hope, when I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and those who are in Christ will rise from the dead, my perspective is totally different. So if I focus on a dead Kirk with a dead Jesus, I despair. But if I focus on a dead Kirk with a risen Christ, I have hope. So someone asked me this week, how many, sons, how many kids do you have? I said, I have four. Well, what's a typical American response? You have three and one's dead. No, I don't. I have four. Because I believe in the resurrection. See, the resurrection is... Watch, so, so when we get really, really negative and self-absorbed, where, where's, where's resurrection thinking? When we think about how bad things are, there, where, where's resurrection thinking? And see, that's what propelled them forward. So I want you to see now what this resurrection thinking is. Chapter 22. And uh, Cameron and Bailey read two of the three. I'm going to show you two. Chapter 22, verse 6. So here are three specific instances when the risen Jesus speaks to someone. 
And the question underneath this is, what, how does the Lord speak to you and to me? Verse 22, verse 6. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth. I am, not was, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Let me just stop for a second to tell you another Kirk story. I am Jesus of Nazareth. On the day of the visitation, uh, you know, a year just ago, we were out here gre- greeting people, and we got done, we went into my office. And out of my office, I have, I, have two, I have a front office where I meet with people, and then a, a place where I study. On the office, in the front office, there was a great big uh, p- uh, picture covered up, wrapped up. And I opened it up, and there was an anonymous note. There's a picture of Kirk with his arms around Jesus. And the scripture verse, verse underneath it was from the Old Testament. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of the living, not the dead. So someone anonymously got a picture of our son, don't know what, how to do with it, with his arm around Jesus. Jesus has his hands nailed, the nail prints. But I want you to hear the words. I am the God of Abraham. I am, present tense. How long are Abraham and Isaac and Jacob dead? I am, present tense, alive now. So this is really critical. If our focus is on the dead Jesus who died for our sins, and is not coupled with the risen Christ who is victorious. May I say this with all love? We got half a gospel. And the power does not come in his death. The power comes in his resurrection. Because after he rises, he pours out his spirit. And you have the spirit in you because Jesus rose from the dead. Not because he died. So this is really a big deal. So Paul has this moment with the risen Christ. And I want you to just notice one other thing in verse 7. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Can I say this very carefully now to all of us? Listen now. How we treat other believers is how we treat Jesus. Now think about this now. St. Paul writes, you are the body of Christ. Every one of you is a part of it. Jesus says to Paul, you know all these people you're killing? You're persecuting me. This is why how we treat each other, the 56 one another's of the New Testament, are so critical. The word, listen to this now. This is how we translate this verse. The world will know we're Christians by our love, and we think it means love there, It starts here. The world will know we are Christians by how we love each other here, in our homes, who you live with, who we are a part of. The world will know we're Christians by how we love. So Paul says, what's going on? Jesus, you're persecuting me. Here's a second example. Look a little farther down, verse 17. So he returns to Jerusalem and he's praying in the temple and he fell into a trance. And again, look what happens. He saw the Lord speaking to me. 
Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony. Verse 21, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What does the risen Christ do? He gives directions. Now I'm gonna push. How many words has the risen Christ given you in this book? Are you mindful of the words of the resurrected Jesus to you, to us? Now, if he's a dead guy, eh, how about this one? If you have, I'm going to quote the old King James, I memorized it. If you have aught with your brother, context of worship, leave your offering on the altar and go and make things right with your brother. Eh, the words of a dead guy. Love one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Yeah, it's words of a dead guy. So what happens is the heart starts to get hard. We start to get calluses on our hearts. Yeah. You know, I got the insurance policy. You know, I would die someday. I'm going to pull it out. Hey, Jesus, 1971, Homewood Reformed Church. Memorized the Heidelberg Catechism. I said I love you. You're my Lord. Let me in. Really? That's the deal, right? Just saying, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? I go to heaven? Mm, well, yeah, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. But a resurrected Jesus who lives in us starts to change how we think and how we act and how we live. And all of a sudden, these aren't dead words of a dead guy. These are risen words from a risen guy. So this week I've been thinking about, who am I persecuting in this body of Christ? Who am I treating as second class? Who am I diminishing? Who am I favoring? Who am I not caring for? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm starting to ask, the Lord's speaking to me. How am I treating people in this body? How about this? He provides direction. How many different ways the Lord speak to us about which way to go? I'm being pushed. How can you hear the voice of the Lord if you don't know what he says? So then it says, well, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. Well, yeah, maybe he did. In the context of community, I would affirm that. But what does it do with these words? And how do they come together? And how does the Lord speak to us in ways we can hear the risen Christ speaking to us? How about one more? Chapter 23. Last one. Oh, my. Verse 17. 11. 23, 11. Then following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. What's he saying? Have courage. You're not going to die here. You are going to make it to Rome, and you will talk about me. Let me tell you something really interesting to me. I've been studying from these you know, months and months and months. You know, I, typically, we say in scholarly world, we say there were three journeys, three missionary journeys for Paul. I'm going to suggest to you in the coming weeks there were actually four. But the fourth journey, he did not go anywhere. He stayed in a prison cell. And I'm going to suggest to you, as you look at the coming weeks, Paul affected more people in a prison cell than he did when he was free, walking 1,500 miles all over Asia, Asia Minor. The Lord says, you're going to make it to Jerusalem. You're going to make it to Rome, and you will be my witness. So this is how crazy the story gets. So he's in Rome. He's in prison. He's in prison. And he's always got a soldier with him. 
And so he's writing. You're going to see in the movie, Luke is listening as Paul tells his story, and Luke writes down what he hears Paul say. So here are soldiers sitting in the room. These are, these are centurions, the highest level soldiers in the room, and they're listening to him tell story after story after story about the kingdom of God. And they rotate the soldiers. So the soldiers are with Paul for a day, and then they go to, then they go to Nero's palace, and then a whole number of troop, troops come in, and they hear the stories, and they get sent, and pretty soon this guy's stuck in a jail cell. He's influencing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of soldiers who are traveling all over the world to talk about the risen Jesus. Isn't that crazy? The risen Jesus is talking to Paul in prison, and people are being affected all over the world. Now, what I'm trying to get at here is how often, how many ways is the Lord trying to speak to us? How is the Lord trying to speak to the risen, not the dead guy, the guy who's alive, the guy who raises people from the dead? We will, we will be victorious. The uh, Alice Willard's phrase, we live in an unbreakable, unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is never in trouble, ever. Do you believe that? Do you live as though you believe that? Well, a couple sentences for you. Let's do cup three. Let me use myself and you apply it to yourself. Kevin, what, I cho- what you choose to believe influences the trajectory of your life. Kevin Elliot Corver. What you actually believe about the resurrection can be seen by all these people, by how you live. How we live is being watched. And how we live reveals if we believe Jesus is dead or alive. Am I speaking the truth? If he's alive, I should be different this year than I was last year. I should be different than I was two years ago. Real fast. Uh, I've been reading lots of stuff this week around people have a relationship with Jesus. Mike Yorkey has written a book called The Shot Caller. Let me tell you this book really fast. You know what a shot caller is in gang worlds? A shot caller is the one who decides who gets killed, who gets stabbed, who gets robbed. So when he became a shot caller, he was 5 feet 10, 105 pounds in the streets of Los Angeles. But he killed and stabbed so many people, he rose to prominence under age 20 as one of the shot callers, so one of the biggest games in Los Angeles. And I read two chapters worth of reporting how he killed, stabbed, destroyed people, and I was appalled. This is just a couple miles from where I grew up. And the violence, the random violence was crazy. He was so bad that he was sent to maximum security at Folsom Prison, 267 miles north of Los Angeles, and sentenced to 10 years of solitary confinement. All he could see, except for one hour a day, was the feet of the guards who pushed his food unto him. He was alone, and he hated everyone. He was so well known that until he got put in solitary, he was a shot caller for the Latino gangs in Folsom. 
a shot caller in prison is the one who has all the shanks. The shanks are the knives used to kill other prisoners. So he would decide who got killed, and then he would give the shanks to have the job done. And he's in his cell, and all of a sudden, he hears a voice. He looks and he sees tiny little feet and an older woman's voice banging on the cell. His name was his name on the gangs was Casey. His given name was Darwin. She bangs on his Darwin. Darwin. Jesus sent me here to you. He has a plan for your life. You're going to become a changed man. He knew nothing about religion of anything. And we month after month this small African American woman came to Folsom, and she said that month after month after month. Then the crazy thing happened. One day in his cell, his eyes are opened, and he sees the risen Jesus come into his cell and flashes him back to Calvary. And Casey watched Jesus get brutally killed and then get off the cross. And that moment with Jesus changed Casey's life. He gave all the shanks away. He was beaten and raped repeatedly, but he would not dishonor the name of Jesus. Instead of 10 years in solitary, because of how his life had changed, he got out for three years. And now he's in inner city Los Angeles, talking with gangbangers, pulling young men out of violence out of killing, out of prison, because he met the risen Jesus. Do you have a relationship with the one who's alive, who's active? Do you want a relationship? Do you want to hear the words? Ask the Lord, give me visions and dreams. Help me to see. Help me to believe. The first thing I said, you choose to believe that in what you believe influences the trajectory of your life. How about this one? Belief in the resurrection is not just what you gain after you lose, after you die. Belief in the resurrection affects how we live today. So let me ask you a question. Are you in a relationship with the living Jesus? Or is your mind focused on the dead guy who did wonderful things back then? But just kind of on your own now and you just got to figure it out the best you can and do the best you can because and someday hope you get to go to a nice place. The Lord's alive. He wants to speak to us and lead us and guide us and strengthen us and empower us and gift us and help us because he wants us to join him in bringing his kingdom to earth. Dead guys don't do this. But the risen Jesus does. So let me ask again. Who's your God? Dead or alive? Come to Mike's talk this morning. If he's dead, who cares about reverence? He's dead. 
I can walk through the cemeteries and I can be uh, of good attitude, but they're dead. Is your Jesus alive or dead? We can tell by watching each other. You got a relationship with the living Jesus? What, what, what should we see? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's what we should see. Do people see that in you, in me, in us? I think the answer increasingly is yes. We are growing. We're believing. We're following a risen Christ. And that's the gospel. Christ died. Christ rose. Christ is coming again. Amen? Lord, we thank and praise you that you are alive and well. That you're leading and you're guiding. You're reigning and you're ruling. And we bless you, Lord, that we get to be with you. So we pray that you help us to honor and strengthen Help us to be people who follow you in word and deed. In Jesus' name, amen. What's the plan, Mike? Music or we're going to sing the final song? We're going to sing a resurrection song and let's raise the roof as we do it. Let's act like Jesus is alive. What do you think? Amen. Why don't you stand with us?